0: The scripture comes from Judges, chapter 6, verses 11 through 19. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty warrior, Gideon answered him, But sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all of his wonderful deeds that our ancestors recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has cast us off and given us into the hand of Midian. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. I hereby commission you. He responded, But sir, how can I deliver Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike down the Midianites, every one of them. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor with you, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a kid and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the oak and presented them. The word of God for the people of God thanks be to God.
1: So this morning, I want to share with you the story of the dumbest thing I ever did to save a dollar. Many years ago when I was in college, I had the, the opportunity to spend some time studying abroad in Spain. And, of course, I was excited to, to take every opportunity that was presented to me to travel and have adventures. And so every time we had a weekend, every time we had a day off, I would get on a train or a, a bus and go to some new place. But, of course, being a, a poor college student racking up debt, I knew that, that if I wanted to keep on getting on buses and trains and having adventures, then I was going to need to stretch every dollar as far as it could possibly go. And so what that means is that during those months when I was traveling around Spain, I I did some really dumb and dangerous things in order to save a a little bit of money. I'm sure that my mother remembers every single one of them, but but for me, of all the dumb and dangerous things that I did while I was in Spain that year, there's one thing in particular that, that stands out in my memory. Now, one weekend, uh, I was, was just beginning to explore a, a new city, and as I was wandering the streets, I happened to pass a grocery store, and I saw that in the window of the grocery store, there was a sign that said, cans of tuna fish, 12 for a dollar. And, and now, being a, a, a poor, wandering college student, I knew that I had just hit the jackpot, right? If I, if I could load up my backpack with cans of tuna fish, delicious, nutritious tuna fish, then I knew that I wouldn't have to buy another scrap of food for the whole rest of the weekend. I wouldn't have to go to any restaurants. I wouldn't have to tip any waitresses. I would be set. And so, of course, I jumped all over that deal. I went into the grocery store and and put down my dollar and walked out of there with 12 cans of delicious, nutritious tuna fish. And I congratulated myself on being so clever and so so thrifty. I spent the rest of that afternoon going to museums and and parks and having all kinds of great adventures. And, And then around supper time, I decided it was time to find a nice place to have a picnic. And so I I hiked out of town and I found a a nice quiet spot beside a a river. I found a a big flat rock to sit down upon. And and I opened up my backpack and I took out a can of tuna fish. And once again, I congratulated myself on being so clever and and so thrifty. And that was right about the time that I realized that I didn't have a can opener. I have... (laughs) I had 12 cans of delicious, nutritious tuna fish, but in my backpack I had zero, zero can openers. And and now, of course, in that moment I realized that I could do one of two things. Either I could go back into town and find a restaurant and pay for dinner like a civilized person, or... Or I can make like a caveman and try to open up a can of tuna fish with trees and rocks and sticks and things. And, and of course, I suspect you know which of those options I chose, right? I spent the next 45 minutes inventing novel and ineffective ways to open a can of tuna fish with, without a can opener. I jumped up and down on the cans of tuna fish. I threw them way up in the air and then came crashing back down to the ground. I pounded on them with rocks and with sticks and everything I could get my hands on. And finally, after 45 exhausting and fruitless minutes of tuna banging, finally, after 45 minutes, I managed to open up just a a little bit of a crack in a seam on one of those those cans. I opened up just enough of a crack that I could suck some of the oil and some some tuna mush out through the side of the can. And so that's what I did for supper that night. I sat there by the river, and I I sucked tuna-flavored oil out of the side of a a beat-up can. And that was dumb. Well, that's not the dumbest thing I ever did to save a dollar. Five years later, I went back to Spain. Five years later, I graduated from seminary, got married, had a, a real grown-up job, and, and I decided I wanted to go back to Spain and I wanted to show my bride all of the places that I'd visited when I was a, a poor, wandering, tuna-banging college student. And, and so we got on a plane and we went to Spain. When we arrived in Spain in August of 2003, the, the country was in the middle of a record-setting heat wave. It was 115 degrees in the shade. All of the all of the newspaper headlines were about how many people were dying from dehydration and, and heat stroke. Well, my wife and I we checked into our hotel that first day and then we went out out wandering the city looking for a good place to have some some lunch. It was so hot that most of the city had shut down. People all went to the beach, none of the restaurants were open. And so finally, after after running around, literally we were running from doorway to doorway trying to keep out of the sun. Finally we found a restaurant that was was open. It was down a little back alley, a little outdoor restaurant in a a shady alley and so we sat down at a table under a big white umbrella and a waiter came out of the kitchen. He put a couple menus on the table. My wife, she opened up her menu and then she announced she said, she said, the first thing I'm going to order is a great big glass of Coke with great big chunks of ice. And now here's the thing that you need to understand. During during all of those months of being a a poor wandering tuna banger I had developed a certain set of of preferences and reactions and habits of of the soul. During all those months of wandering as a poor, poor tuna-banging college student, I I had, had come to the conclusion that buying a glass of Coke at a restaurant was an unthinkable luxury. It would have been out of the realm of possibilities. And I have to confess to you that when my wife said, I'm going to order a great big glass of Coke, I had a gut reaction. I had a visceral reaction and somewhere from deep down in my soul the ghost of that poor wandering tuna banging college student spoke up and said do you really need to order a coke How about instead I get us both a couple of tap waters? You know the nice thing about tap water is that tap water is free. And then, God help me, that's just what I did. The waiter came back to the table and I ordered two glasses of tap water and a grilled chicken breast to share. And there was nothing my wife could do about it because I spoke Spanish and she doesn't. And so all all that she could do was glare at me from across across the table. It is a miracle that our marriage did not end right there in that hot Spanish alley at that table. I am convinced to this day that my wife was sitting on the other side of the table asking herself the question, should I leave him now or should, or should I wait until we're back in a country where I speak the language? And and, and and I believe that our marriage probably would not have survived that lunch, if not for the, the miracle, the act of God that happened next. Now, I, I will tell you to my dying day that what I ordered was two glasses of tap water and a grilled chicken breast to share. But a few minutes later, the waiter came back out of the kitchen with a tray, and on that tray, he did not have two glasses of tap water and a chicken breast to share. That tray was piled with a mountain of food. On that tray, there were two large... Large Cokes, and I could hear the ice clinking in the glasses as he came to the table. And there were two complete chicken dinners. There was chicken and potatoes and salad and, and fried eggs. And then this waiter, he started putting this feast down on the table. I don't know why he did it. I don't know if maybe my Spanish is not as good as I thought it was or... <laughs> Or if he saw what was about to go down in that alley and he took pity on me. Or, or if God intervened for some reason. I don't know why he brought all that food out and started putting this feast down on the table. But I know that I was angry. I mean, I was indignant. I was just about to send it all back to the kitchen and tell him to bring me my tap water. When I looked across the table... And I saw the way my wife was looking at that glass of Coke. And, and in that moment, suddenly something, something shifted in my soul. Something something that had been clenched tight in my heart for years suddenly, suddenly started to loosen up a bit. And in that moment, as I looked across the table at my wife, I had a, a sudden realization. I realized that, that I was not a poor wandering tuna banger anymore. And I didn't want to be a poor wandering tuna banger anymore. I wanted to be the kind of guy who lets his wife drink her coke and keeps his mouth shut and so that's what i did I let her drink the coke. I let the waiter put all the food down on that table. And that is why we are married still today. <laughs> some, some sort of miraculous transformation happened there in that alley. And I was no longer a poor wandering tuna banger. There in that alley at that table, I, I discovered that it can it can be joyful to be generous. I discovered that sometimes you can save a dollar but but lose your soul. There at that table, a sort of miraculous transformation happened, happened within the heart of of your pastor, and we see that same transformation happening for Gideon in this morning's scripture reading. Now last Sunday, we heard about the Israelites found themselves in this this difficult and painful time. We we heard about how every year when they would bring their harvest in from the fields, when they would fill their barns and their storehouses with food, this great army of Midianites would appear. And the Midianites would, would plunder the storehouses and they would strip the barns bare. They would take every scrap of food and then they would leave the Israelites to starve. As this happened year after year after year, the Israelites became a timid and fearful and beaten down people. And among these, these timid and fearful and beaten down people, nobody was more timid, nobody was more fearful than Gideon. Gideon was, was a farmer. And as we pick up the story today, the first glimpse that we have of Gideon, he is, he is threshing out his wheat. How many of you know what I'm talking about when I say threshing out the wheat, right? Some of you grew up on farms. Some of you know what, what this is about, right? When, when you bring the wheat harvest in from the field, there's a, a step that has to happen before you can turn it into flour. You've got to separate all the parts that people can eat from all of the parts of the wheat that the people can't. You need to separate the, the grain from the stems and the stalks and the husks. You need to separate the, the wheat from the chaff. In the ancient world, the way this works is that the, the farmer would take all of his wheat harvest up to the top of a hill where there would be a, a flat and a windy place. And then that farmer would start beating on his wheat with a big stick. Or better yet, he might have a donkey drag a great big stone across the top of it. That would, that would break up the wheat. That would separate the grain from the chaff. And then, then the last step of the process was really simple. The farmer would just throw everything up in the air. And the grain, which is heavy, would come back down. But the the chaff, the stalks, the stems, which are light, would just blow away with the wind. This is why farmers would take their their harvest up to a high and windy place, so that the wind would do half of the work of separating the wheat from the chaff from them. Farmers always took their harvest up to a, a high and windy place. But as we pick up the story today, Gideon is threshing out his wheat, but he is not in a high and windy place. As we pick up the story today, Gideon is threshing out his wheat in a wine press. In other words, he is is threshing out his wheat in a hole in the ground lined with stones. He is threshing out his wheat in the, the least high, the least windy place you can imagine. It would have made his work four times harder to thresh out his wheat there in this hole in the ground than if he'd gone up to the top of a hill. But, of course, we know why he didn't go up that hill, right? We know why Gideon is in this hole in the ground because he is afraid of the. The Midianites. Gideon is afraid that if he takes his wheat harvest up to the top of a hill, then the Midianites will spot him. And the Midianites will come, and they will take his wheat, and then he and his family will starve that winter. And so Gideon is sweating it out, working to thresh out his wheat in this hole in the ground, hoping that his neighbors, hoping that the the enemies, the Midianites, don't, don't come along and spot him doing this. But as he's threshing out his wheat in this hole in the ground, suddenly Gideon realizes that he's not alone. He realizes that a stranger has appeared. A man he's never seen before is sitting underneath the oak tree in his front yard. And this man is watching Gideon thresh out his wheat. When when Gideon and the stranger make eye contact, the man calls out and he greets Gideon in this, this strange, this unusual way. The man says, the Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. And that makes Gideon mad. Because Gideon knows he's not a mighty warrior. He is a timid farmer hiding in a hole, hoping that his neighbors don't spot him threshing out his wheat. He knows that he is the farthest thing from a mighty warrior that you will find anywhere in the land of the Israelites. And so Gideon comes to the conclusion that this guy must be making fun of him for threshing out his wheat in a wine press. He becomes angry, and he responds to the man in anger. He says, what do you mean the Lord is with us? He says, if the Lord was with us, would all of these terrible things be happening? If the Lord really is with us, then why are our enemies allowed to cause us so much suffering? Get out of here and take your mighty warrior nonsense with you, Gideon says. And then he goes back to threshing out the wheat in his winepress. But the stranger, he doesn't go away. Instead, he stays there under the oak tree and he calls out to Gideon one more time. And he says, I say to you that you are mighty. And I say the Lord is with you, and not only that, but today I commission you to lead your people to victory over their enemies. And there is something about his voice, there is something about his words that suddenly make all of the hair on Gideon's neck stand up straight. Suddenly Gideon gets the feeling that he is not having a conversation with just any stranger. Suddenly he has the feeling that this is a very special sort of stranger who has come to sit under his oak tree. And so Gideon speaks to the man again, but this time he speaks more respectfully. He says, sir, he says, "Sir, you must have made some kind of mistake because I am just the least important farmer in the least important family in the least important tribe in all the land. How could I possibly lead my people to victory over anybody? And the man speaks to Gideon again, and he says, I will go with you. And I tell you, you will strike down your enemies, every last one of them. And now Gideon knows. Now Gideon knows that this is not just some wandering stranger who's landed underneath his oak tree. Now he knows that he is hearing the voice of God. He is hearing the words of God. And in that moment, something shifts in Gideon's heart. In that moment, something that was clenched up tight in his heart suddenly releases and begins to relax. And Gideon looks at the man and he says, If you are who I think you are, stay here. Wait here under this tree and let me prepare something for you. And then Gideon goes into his house. And he starts rummaging all through his house pulling bits and pieces of food that he's hidden in nooks and crannies and cubby holes. He pulls out all of the food that he's squirreled away just in case the Midians come, Midianites come knocking at his door. He pulls all of this food out and then he goes into the kitchen and he starts cooking. He starts cooking an entire kid. He starts roasting a goat. He he gets out an ephah of flour. Does anybody know how much flour is in an ephah of flour? I looked it up. 40 pounds of flour. Gideon gets out 40 pounds of flour and he starts baking cakes, and he starts baking bread, and then he gets out the biggest pots and pans that he has, and he he starts making soups, and he starts making stews, and he, he cooks, and he cooks, and he cooks, and then when everything is ready, when he has cooked every scrap of food he has in the house, he starts carrying it out underneath the oak tree. Can you just picture Gideon coming out through the door of his house like a Spanish waiter with a big tray loaded down with food? Can you picture him waddling through that door with a great big pot filled with, with stew and laying all of these things in front of this stranger underneath the oak tree. Gideon lays out a feast there underneath the oak tree. And in that moment, we see that an amazing transformation has happened in just a few verses of the book of Judges. Just a few verses ago. Gideon was this timid and fearful man who was hiding away his food from his enemies and from his neighbors. But now, just a few verses later, here we see Gideon laying out a feast for this man who he's only just met, laying out this feast underneath the oak tree. How do we explain this transformation? How do we account for the difference that we see in Gideon in just a few verses? The only thing I can make sense of is this. In some part of this story, when that stranger says to Gideon, the Lord is with you, and you are mighty. Gideon heard those words, and he began to believe those words. When Gideon began to believe that message, the Lord is with you, and you are mighty, that caused something to shift in his soul. That caused something to unclench in his heart, and suddenly, suddenly he began to transform into a completely different, more courageous, more generous person. There is something so powerful about those words. The Lord is with you, and you are are mighty. Just a couple weeks on on November 25th, we're going to have a great big stewardship celebration Sunday here at, at Court Street Church. In worship, I'm going to ask you to, to make a commitment to invest in the ministries of this church. After worship on, on November 25th, we're all going to go and we're going to have a feast. We're going we're to have cakes and we're going to have bread and we're going to have soups and we're going to have stews. And I don't know if we're going to have goat, but we got a committee of people who are working on making that decision. In, in just a couple of weeks, we are going to have a, a great big stewardship Sunday. And I hope that on that day, you you will be moved to, to generosity. I hope that you will make a a generous commitment to to supporting the ministries of Court Street Church in 2019 so our work can continue to grow and increase and touch more lives and more hearts here in the city of Flint and in Genesee County. But even more than that, here's what I hope for the next two weeks. I hope that in some moment in the next two weeks, you suddenly hear the voice of God whispering in your ear, I am with you and you are mighty. And I hope that in that moment, sometime in the next two weeks, I hope that some part of your heart begins to believe that that message is true. That God is with you and you are mighty. You are capable of great things. You are capable of transforming this world. You are capable of things you never would have believed because God is with you. My prayer for the next couple weeks is that suddenly there comes a moment when you discover that it is joyful to be generous. I hope there comes a moment when you suddenly understand that it is possible to save a dollar but lose your soul. My prayer is that at some point in the next two weeks, God would work a transformation in our hearts so that none of us, none of us would be wandering tuna bangers anymore. Let's pray. God, we pray. God, we pray that you would reach into our hearts and work a miraculous transformation. God, we pray that you would loosen the things that are clenched up tight. God, we pray that you would shift our souls so that we would become joyful and generous people, so that we would become the kind of people who know, know the value of giving, not just the value of a dollar. God, we pray. God, we pray that like Gideon, you would make us the kind of people who lay out feasts for strangers. In Jesus we pray. Amen.